Let's do Let's it. Let's go. Yeah. What do you, what do you prefer? Brian, Woody? Woody, probably. Yeah. Brian's a very old man's name. <laughs> Get tortured for it. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Who would call that? I said, that, I said to my dad, I said, Dad, who would call their son Brian? He said, that was my best mate at school. I was like, oh, cheers. <laughs> my wife goes mad. She said, that's a very old man's name. I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> Hey guys, and welcome to the Take Flight podcast with me, Mark Whittle, a peak performance podcast where we speak with all-round high achievers and the best of the best, including entrepreneurs, professional athletes, and lifestyle specialists to hear the stories of their success, all about their achievements, the habits and routines that they incorporated into their lives, so we can take these lessons and use them ourselves and drive our own performance forward. This week, I had the absolute honor of sitting down with British military hero, Brian Wood. On the 14th of May 2004, during his tour in Iraq, he was on a routine patrol when him and his team were ambushed by enemy fighters. Outnumbered, outgunned, with the odds stacked heavily against the chances of survival, Woody led the first close quarters bayonet charge by British soldiers in 25 years, soon to be known as the Battle of Danny Boy. His story is absolutely incredible. I was sat on the edge of my seat through the whole chat. We get into the details of what Woody experienced fighting the enemy face to face in such extreme conditions. We discuss the importance of leadership, decision making and discipline when the stakes are high and I can honestly say there are amazing teachings that we can take away from his story. Woody talks about suffering from severe PTSD in the years that followed the battle and coping with depression and anxiety and how it affected his family. We also talk about what eventually led him to taking that leap of faith and seeing a therapist. We discuss the amazing news of Woody's first book, Double Crossed, A Complete Betrayal, which is coming out in February next year. I'm really excited to get my hands on a copy. I've pre-ordered mine already. But there's so much more to his story, including a 10-year legal battle after being wrongly accused of unlawful killing, murder and mutilations of Iraqi nationals, and abuse, which was eventually irrevocably dismissed and ruled as deliberate lies. It's an absolutely bonkers story where Woody went through hell and back to try and clear his name. But he eventually broke his silence on Good Morning Britain and that ultimately led to the book. So I'm so pleased to see he's getting what he deserves finally and I hope it has huge, huge success. He also has some unbelievably exciting things coming up which we can only assume comes after writing a book. He doesn't give us the actual announcement but I've got a pretty good idea. So I'd recommend you guys go and follow at Brian underscore Wood 7 on Instagram for all his official updates. Aside from this, he's just a top, top guy and one I would say has definitely become a friend of mine through doing the podcast. And I just want to say a massive, massive shout out to my brother, Stevie Ward, who introduced me to Brian in the first place. Another one who's become a friend through doing the podcast and it's definitely the best thing about doing Take Flight. But that's enough from me. One of my favourite stories so far. Please, please enjoy episode 23 of the Take Flight podcast with the legendary Brian Wood. Woody, how do? Welcome to the Take Flight Podcast, mate. Nah, it's good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, not at all, mate. I've been really looking forward to it. How, how are you feeling? I know you had your Christmas party last night. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> good time, though. Yeah, no, it's good. Very good. It's like it's one sort of event of the year that I get to see everyone. But there's like 400 staff now, so or colleagues. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of mad when everyone gets together and yeah in one room so but it's good yeah a bit croaky voice today but it's all good so no morning run this morning no 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 morning run 
missed that ritual this morning. But I see you doing it every morning. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big thing. It's, a, it's important for me. And no doubt we'll get onto the subject later, but it's, for me, it's mind space. It's, it's clearance, a thought process, and also it sets the conditions for my day. So I run, and then if my wife's up with me, then I go in I'll, and sort of make my bed because I feel that's important as well. I think little things make a big difference. Mm. So running for health and fitness, clearly, with mindset clearance and, and starts the day on a on a kind of real good sort of pathway. Throughout my military career, clearly I was in an institution where this is all taught to you, but explained as well on the methods and, and also why it's important to do these things with discipline. So yeah, make my bed, because no matter how shit my day's gonna be, I know if I've not achieved many things throughout that day, yeah. I'll go home, my bed's made. And someone actually, there's American, yeah, Navy SEAL which kind of um, he's got a book saying you can't hurt me and he talks about the the influence of kind of doing the basics right and, and making your bed as, mm. as a kind of start state for your day and it's, it's overly important because nowadays we just kind of do our thing don't we get up and just kind of crack on but doing the basics right it's a fundamental and um, yeah I'm a big believer in it yeah I'm used to making my bed to be honest well, not from today. Not from today. I'll change it. Exactly. But do you know what, what I like about the gym side of it is I go in the morning as well, try and mm. go first thing, because I just feel that once you've, once you've been, no matter how hard you've worked, the hardest thing that day I'm going to do is drag myself out of bed and go to the gym. Yeah. Like, nothing's really going to get worse than that. That's discipline, and mm. that's also mindset, because you don't want to sometimes, mm. but it's actually doing what you don't want to do. Yeah. And that's the most important. Actually, that's when you get the m- most benefit, I believe, is when you don't want to do something. And when you drag your carcass to go and do it, yeah, that's where you get the improvements and that two percent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, mate. I know we're going to talk about that a lot more as well mm. coming up. So there's so many things I want to ask you about. So all right, we've gone straight in. What I wanted to do is kind of split it down into like three sections. Yeah. So we'd do a bit on your military career and in particular your experience and the actions during the Battle of Danny Boy in 2004, um, which ultimately led you to winning the military cross. And then the second bit would be kind of your experience post that and the battle that you had emotionally and the battle that you had legally as well yeah and then go into some of the exciting things that you're doing now and the stuff that we can look forward to seeing from you in the future so if you're happy to to do that yeah yeah no problem amazing okay so to kick things off then what made you get into the army in the first place like how did you find yourself there failed footballer (laughs) (laughs) i was destined to be a football player to be honest i really was left a left-sided left midfield Mm mm-hmm in a four-four-two, I was a utility player, so okay. I, I, I was happy to get on that pitch and play. I just wanted to play, so I'll play anywhere. But I was, you know, I've got, a, I'm humble, so you know, I was a half decent player. I wasn't no clearly because I joined the army, but I wasn't no, you know, I didn't set the world on fire. But I was, I was at Chelsea with John Terry actually growing up, and then there was a, there was a many reasons why I didn't stay at Chelsea. One being my dad was also in the military and was doing really well within his career and I had to train Tuesdays but getting to London from Hampshire was a mare it was a nightmare so he was having to kind of finish work early try and get over to London or Cobham where we were training on the M25 or like standstills and I was just I was continually missing training Mm. like well or half an hour of the training session but we was only on there for an hour an hour and a half an hour so by the time I kind of got warmed up into the session, I was like seven yards behind. Mm. 
and uh, at that young age it's so key that you're constantly on it and training and learning and, and the will as well but I was kind of way off because of the I was being late and it wasn't no fault to my dad or or me through commitment it was just because the you know, he had a career he sacrificed a lot for me and probably didn't get as far as what he could have done so we both come to an agreement we spoke to the coaches and just said look dad's away he's got military commitments he's training for operations and so on and so forth it just doesn't work so then I went to Reading mm. had a great time at Reading and um, what age were you at Reading? so I just come out to my YT so I was probably about like 15, 16 yeah. so I think I started with him I was at School of Excellence at Chelsea at about 14 done that for a year and then 15 went to Reading how old are you now? 37 uh, 38 38 I forgot my age <laughs> yeah 38 so constantly around the dinner table my brother who's also serving and serving now and my dad chatting away I felt massively left out because I didn't have anything in common mm. I've got a big family so and it's very military orientated we've got 100 years of unbroken service so we're very loyal to this great nation and I kind of thought do you know what I'm missing out on this conversation I'm going to have a dust up with it so yeah I kind of off my own back I went down to the careers office and spoke to the recruitment officer there and he sell, you know, sold it to me on playing football and sport and travelling the world which I did in abundance mm-hmm. and, um, and it also made me grow up I was 16 and 9 months when I went in and it, I grew up within a hair's breath mm. because I had to and um, it really sets a tone it does and a lot of people say to me and we'll, we'll speak about my journey in a bit but a lot of people say to me oh what about if your sons want to go in yeah. I would love that I was unfortunate with a lot of the things that I was involved in but when I go back to the raw and the roots of the military and their belonging and the foundations and their core values you're not going to beat it yeah. you're not going to beat it it's un- incredible yeah and what did your dad do in the army what was his role so he was in infantry as a frontline yeah. soldier for I think wouldn't quote myself on this but I think it's about 17 years and then he went sorry he re-rolled into the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers yeah taught tactics within the Remi mm-hmm. so yeah uh, I travelled around as a bit of a and we call it pad brats military sort of kids travelling around with, with the family and it was great so I did I packed my bags and, and went off at, as a young 16 and 9 months and I got an my son now is nearly 15, so when I look at it, I think, wow, yeah. you know, in a year's time, that was kind of me, mm. with my bag on my shoulder, leaving everything I knew, and going into this kind of, yeah, the unknown, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. Even now, and like I said, we'll get onto the journey, but even now, I would still go back and do it. Yeah, would you? Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Do you know what I find really interesting is that, obviously you were exposed to it you're mm. saying what pad brats yeah yeah. so you'd seen that you'd seen what your dad done you yeah. looked up to him as well yeah. there's something that Tony Robbins says it's, it's quite deep it's pretty intense but he says if he had to ask people only one question he says he would never ask people one question he'd ask two and the first one would be whose love do you crave more your mum or your dad it's <laughs> a big shout yeah so thinking about who that person was and generally with like males it's usually your dad yeah so you get that nurturing from your mum yeah. so that's my answer as well is, is who, who's loved it I crave more probably my dad and yeah. then who did you have to be for that person and my answer is more like my dad yeah and I've and I've followed essentially in his footsteps he, he built a sales business in the city 
and you know he he was high at sport. I, I did school of excellence in Northampton yeah. in, for football when he was he was actually rugby. But yeah, it's just funny when you look at and I think that the people I've had that conversation with nine times out of ten you, you're almost doing the same thing. The person you felt you had to be for that person mm. is what's carved out your journey and where you've gone. Yeah, but it's I think they're role models as well, right? I mean, if you've got a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have that kind of figure in their lives, mm. but if it's the right figure it comes it becomes contagious and i love the way my my father presented himself he was very passionate he looked after himself and yeah he was kind of like a straight laced guy and still is now and you know if i was kind of even now if i'm half the man that he is when i'm his age yeah. you know kind of later on then i would have achieved something yeah i won't tell him that <laughs> and he might listen to this because he's old school but he's a dude He's a really, really, yeah. really great guy, yeah. One of your heroes. Massively. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So, mate, what I want to do is jump forward now, because obviously I could talk to you for hours about mm. your whole journey, but I'd like to get straight into the story behind the Battle of Danny Boy. Yeah. That day, the things that took place. And to be honest, I'm quite happy just to let you go yeah, and yeah. tell the story and just say it how it is, and then I'll probably interject now and yeah. then with different bits. So, yeah, if you could tell us about that day, that'd be amazing. No, totally. So, the 14th of May, 2004... And it was at 14.30 hours, blistering the heat in Iraq. We'd been there for a month. And it was billed to be a peacekeeping tour. But three weeks before we went into country, things were changing. Was it your first tour then, this one? No, third. Okay. But my previous two were Kosovo, which was peacekeeping and setting the conditions, basically, for what I was going to go into. Mm -hmm. Three weeks before, there was a lot of kind of intelligence coming down that there was an uprising... There was a big meeting from the militia leaders and they just wanted to have a tear up with all coalition forces, basically. Every coalition, which whether it be Danish, UK, Americans, they were going to get it and they were going to get hit hard. And that's how it rolled out. So we flew into country and it was carnage. Normally you kind of do go into a kind of a sort of settlement period so the first couple of weeks are you get out on the ground you get you know familiar with the with the spots the hot spots the areas of interest and all that sort of stuff and you, it's slow time yeah. there was no slow time it was fighting from word go and it was crazy because it was an uprising and I'd never experienced this before so as a young 23 year old overly passionate about what I was doing I wanted to be the best version of a British soldier that could possibly be as well. I, was, I loved my job, but I never had any experience of what it was like to be decisively engaged. So when it's a proper, full-on tear-up. And one, I was a young commander. At, I was a Lance Corporal, so I was a leader of men at that age, at 23, having to make decisions. And I never knew what I would feel like when I'm under extreme, intense pressure, how I'd, I was going to react and... When you're lying in bed or, you know, before you go into country, you're thinking, will I fight or will I flight? How am I going to react in these situations? But I believed in my training because we all, we all revert to the training, right? Because you're drilled, you're taught, you're given clear direction. You then give direction, but you never know until it actually happens. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. The second day on the ground, we were out. We were doing a, a, just a, a normal routine patrol, and then boom, at 
boiling hot. How many people are you looking after? Like, who, who uh, you four. So four? four people in the back. Just a fire. We call it a fire team. So mm. not a huge responsibility, but it's human life. It's not money. Yeah. So if you get it wrong, you're dead. That's the difference. Like I said, it's not kind of money that's gone under or you can't, you know, you get around a boardroom and say, do you know what? There's a lot of lessons to be learned. Yeah. The lessons will be learned is when you're laying someone into the ground. That's the environment that I was in. Digressing slightly, going back to the 14th of May for the third time. Um, yeah, so... What date was it? <laughs> yeah, I know. But we were just out on a routine patrol on a VCP when it come on the radio that there'd, there'd been two casualties and they were from the Argyle and someone Highlanders from a Scottish regiment which were down south about half an hour 20 minutes from where we were and because of our armoured vehicles we were given the task to go down and kind of extract them from this ambush and deliver initial first aid because one had a gunshot wound to the tricep and the other one had a blast in the inner thigh so like I said our initial task was to go down there and extract them and so it was a recovery mission, basically. But that's what it was. Uh, that's what it was geared to. Route six is the main supply route. It's kind of one route from Bajra all the way to Baghdad. So it's a vulnerable road because it's only one straight road. Uh, a real main road all the way from south of Iraq to north Iraq. So, yeah. like I said, it was and and at that era, it was so vulnerable on the way down. So it is a large road that you're, you're going Yeah, it's down. a normal road. Yeah. It's a normal road. And like I said, it was from Bajra to, to Alamara, where we were, north, just south of Baghdad. And, um, mate, we got smashed. Absolutely smashed. And like I said, I've been in country for a month at this point and experienced some intense fighting. But this, the vehicle that I'd been hit, that had been hit, which I was in the back of, it was shaking. The noise, even inside this armoured vehicle, I knew it was something big outside which was causing this and the gunners the gunner and the commander in the turret so we've got like it's like a sort of smaller version of a tank and you've got the gunner and commander in the turret they were like really communicating adrenaline hyped up then they started returning fire and at this point it's really dark in in the back of the vehicle you've only got a small window um, which you can't really see out of anyway because it's condensation sand and grit 50 degrees in the back fact that's not me adding on you know 10% it really is wild it's so hot in the back you're kind of wet sweat I could hear what was going outside of the vehicle my heart started kind of really pumping and smashing against my body armor plate and like I said at my point then it's kind of to let the commander and the gunner do their thing because it's overly important that you allow that instead of me kind of Get, you know, coming on the intercom and what's going on what's going on you know, it's important that they're under pressure they're doing their thing you allow that to happen because it's the right thing to do mm. and when there was kind of a break in in the motion so the, the firing had kind of calmed a little bit you know calmed us slightly I then asked Stick my commander what was going on and he said to me a stronghold 15 to 20 militia fighters dug in so trenches they're in there they're staying and fighting I was like that's different because that was normally it was like city fighting you're going in there and there was on the rooftops and there was coming out of alleyways and we were having a tear up kind of like fighting in sort of London yeah. crazy like they're coming out of all sorts of alleyways rooftops you know pockets all over the place it's real difficult to fight in urban situations and that's like um, this was out in the desert so I was like this is 
this is strange, we've not even gone in to where the boys are yet. We've not even done that rescue mission because we're now fixed and we've been ambushed ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, I let him carry on. I knew that there was a stronghold. I knew there was 15 to 20 militia fighters. And then he gave me a kind of word of command or a kind of mission specific which would change my life forever. And that was, Woody, prepare you and your men to get out of the vehicle so this armoured vehicle that we were in full of protection and launch a counter attack on this ambush on a full frontal so going across open ground at, the, at, the, at this point there was me and three others but there was two other guys from the, another vehicle which joined us to get out of this vehicle and go and launch a counter attack on this massive stronghold so outgunned outnumbered but understood why he wanted us to do that because the vehicle can only have so much of an effect and when they're in trenches they're not having any effect really we're not neutralising the targets because of what they're doing they're just down, up, down, up popping up, firing Yeah. what's stopping I mean maybe I'm looking at this in completely the wrong way but could you not have just were they blocking you getting to where your mission was or no they weren't actually They, they, they just smashed us so normally what you would do is drive on because it was such a big huge ambush we just come to a halt and then the other vehicles bypassed us so they went on to oh, the rescue wow. mission it was communicated on, right. on the radio so they um, punched past us and then we were fixed into this like huge mm-hmm. ambush because at the end of the day these are enemies so these, these are militia fighters yeah, you can't just leave so them. we just can't leave them we can't they've brung it to us so we've countered that and we're having a tear up now like a full on tear up but I've just been told to get out of this vehicle and go and launch onto this huge defensive position I'm thinking that's never been done since like the second world war maybe the Falklands and the thing is you have all sorts of emotions yeah you know fear is massive was I scared fucking right I was scared of course I was because I'm only human yes I've been trained and I've got the best training which could kind of put me in great stead for what was going to happen but you know like I said these are weapon systems that I'm dealing with which will kill you in an instant and I'm just about to get out and when I talk about fear is a big thing because it's contagious fear is contagious and as a leader and as a young leader 23 and I had the other two lads in the back of this vehicle looking at me for inspiration and I'm like we're getting out in this you can hear it we're going to get out and that they're like are you winding me up like with the emoji eyes like out their heads and I'm like no we're, we're out we're going out in a minute and we're going to go and get amongst them and I had this like over, overwhelming sensation of fear I was scared I didn't really know what to expect I was disorientated but I was a leader and I was a commander and a decision maker so regardless I was going to go you felt the responsibility totally and you should lead, lead by example so when that door was open I was always going to go first yeah. and see what happened so when I was in the back I started asking some questions to the commander because they can see out their turret they've got these like times 10 scopes on the enemy so they can tell me like like I said how many there is yeah. the weapon systems that they had AK-47s PKMs Dushkas machine guns and I was like you get hit by one of them you're gone did you, you know? did you think at any stage you're probably running into your death so before we left the vehicle I asked him if there was a position I could get into so I could at least identify this stronghold because otherwise I was going to get out into the unknown 
overly disorientated. It was going to just be carnage. Yeah. And there was like a, a dried out sort of um, bun line, but it was it, it offered us some cover. And he said, when the door opens to your 10 o'clock, you'll see it, you'll blatantly see it, and you should go in there first, have a look, and then launch. And bear in mind, there's only three of us. But I believed in his mission. I bought into it. The boys bought into it, and we were ready. We were ready to go. And um, and the mission here has changed from a recovery, recovery mission to, to now counter, yeah, countering what we've just been hit with and killing these people, closing with and destroying, yeah, yeah. and destroying the, the the militia fighters, which were the enemy. And he said, "Okay, Woody, stand by, stand by, five, four, three, and on three, the door started to open because it's on a hydraulic system, so it's like an electrical, big, heavy armored door." And it's done on a button, so when you press that button, it opens up because you just can't. It's not like a car door where you get out and jump out. It has to be done on this system because it's such a powerful door and heavy armored door. Mm. It started opening, and I was like, "This is it. We're off. Let's see what happens." That's kind of how the attitude it was. Like, we'll do our best. And I know it's a bit of a kind of a Chad cliche saying, but I would have died trying, one hundred percent. And the door opened. I remember squinting because it was so bright out there in the pure desert heat. It was so bright. I put my boots on the ground, on the on the sand, on the desert sand. The sand was punching up in my eyes because of the, the vehicle was giving us cover and fire. So it was really smashing this position to give us a chance to get out. So it was rapid fire from this vehicle. It was deafening, disorientating. The sand was everywhere. But... I, I call it an out-of-body experience. It really was. And if I'd hit, I would never have known about it unless I was killed stone cold, right? Because it was like a drug that I've never experienced before. This is like times 10 on your wedding day. Times 10 on line-up for a game of football. I mean, we all get butterflies and the adrenaline. This was times 10, mate. I mean, I've never experienced anything like it. It was, like I said, it was an out-of-body experience. Since that door opened and I squinted, I readjusted my eyesight and then I seen where I needed to go. So I just ran hard, fast and aggressive to this piece of cover and I dived down on my belly, my heart rattling against my body on my plate, thinking, has these boys followed me? And I looked to my left and sure enough, it's all the bravest of men follow me. So they bounced over into like a linear sort of line. I asked them to check themselves that they'd been hit because we'd never known. Like I said, it was just a crazy out of body experience. And they're like, right, what now? And I said, I need to try and get eyes on where this stronghold is. So I said, give me two minutes. So I've done like a little meerkat movement, like popping up and having a little look. <laughs> and initially I didn't see it. I was like, where's, where's this position? So I looked, and then, but then what I did was I looked at our vehicles and I seen the ammunition smashing in the dust, like the, all sorts was, was flickering up. And I just like, there it is there. I could see a little ridge away. I didn't see any enemy at this point. And I was like, how do I now get from where I am in this bun line to there? 150 metres, 120 metres away. And um, looked to left. It wasn't workable for a number of reasons. Looked to my right. There was another few issues that I considered the best course of action, which was just to go meet head on, go straight down the middle and charge towards the stronghold head on. And as I was just about to kind of make our last sort of um, orders, another two British soldiers turned up from behind us. They're like, lads, what's going on here? And I was like, where have you come from? <laughs> but they just got out of the other vehicle. They got out of another vehicle that had joined. 
and uh, they, yeah, so there's five of us on the ground. So actually, five against fifteen. Yeah, the ratio is still quite strong, but we're overly professional. We're good at what we do, and we've got some great values. So we've got a chance. And sometimes big shots come in, and that's within the that's within the business world, and on the sporting world, and also in the military world. Sometimes, if you believe in the mission, you get it, and you're you you're overly passionate about achieving what a lot of people thought was unachievable I thought actually you know this can actually work yeah yeah, I mean let's go so Mark Biles joined us as well which was a senior commander to me so I was a lance corporal he was a corporal and we had like a little conflab and I said look this is what I think we should do and he's like hang on let me have, go and have a little look so he done his like sort of estimate we call it a combat estimate so he done his estimate so and, he's um, put in rank then now above you no he didn't I was on the ground longer than him so he kind of appreciated me being I was mm. probably 20 maybe 15 to 20 minutes on the ground at this point before he joined me so really? he was like asking me for what was going on what did I see how many years there what was kind of my recommendations so we had a discussion he could have pulled rank. He could have said, "I'm doing this. You, you know, yeah, you'll abide by that." And I would have done that because, as soldiers, you got to listen to your subordinates and, and deal with it. But he never did that. He was kind of openly. We had an open discussion. We both agreed it was going to go down the middle, hard, fast, and aggressive, and hope for the best. So you're literally planning just to run straight out. Yeah, but we're going to work as uh, two teams: a team of three and a team of two. So the three guys who I was with, because I was a commander of the three, and he was a commander of him and plus the other guy, Begsy. And we we're going to kind of, it's, we call it leapfrog. So we would get up, go over the top, start engaging. Once we started engaging, they'll then bound forward. They'll start engaging, and then we'll then move forward. So you've mm-hmm. always got one foot on the ground. Yeah. You're always covering each other, because we're overly professional like that. And I was really expecting either to be hit myself to hear man down but what we said was if we get casualties we keep going and we keep going until we hit the position how did so the decision when you you left the vehicle mm. the armoured vehicle versus the decision when you're on the floor and you're going to go straight down the middle yeah what were the changes in your mindset there was it harder to get out of the vehicle or was it harder to go no nah, it's harder being in the vehicle because I wasn't in control of that I was in the back and I was thinking I just need to be out and getting some visuals because in the back it's dark it's an oven it's boiling when I talk about it um, it's extreme heat yeah soaking wet through extreme exhaustion like sauna the bottles of water yeah every day in a sauna in fact the bottles of water you have filled with boiling they're boiling water so when you're drinking it there's no aircon in the back of these vehicles. There's no fridges. It's boiling water. Mm. So getting out of the vehicle was actually a relief. It's like, right, now I can see. I'm in control of this. I'm, I'm kind of, we're in control of our own destiny to, um, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And it was a relief to be out of the vehicle and actually be on the ground. The vehicle was a magnet as well. It's a huge target. We're in the back. I've already been blown up once before as well that was on the, f- the 1st of May this was the 14th of May 1st of May I got smashed two AT4 missiles straight through the vehicle blew my hair away scarred my face shrapnel all over me but we haven't got time to talk about that but that's you know like I said I'm not going to plug my book but it's in there it's in there yeah. massively as well yeah so I knew as well the vehicle 
is vulnerable because it can be penetrated so I was like I need to get out Yeah. and when I was out I felt a bit free um, it was down to us and our decision making if we got it wrong we've yeah. only got ourselves to blame so I love it it's like that extreme ownership that Jocko willing because yeah, you're taking totally. control of the situation you're gripping that situation yeah. you're, you're making them decisions and I'm like I said it's a little bit different for for you know trying to win business around a, a boardroom table where sometimes it doesn't happen and you don't win what you want what you really spent six months trying to win but you can also go and talk about the lessons learned mm. but in a free controlled environment and talk about it yes there's going to be heated debates and heated discussions but where we are now and I've said it before if you get it wrong you're not going to have a chance to speak about the heated discussions and debates because they're not going to be here yeah and as young commanders at 23 I'm like I think that's the right decision it's what my gut and my instinct is telling me but we're going to roll with it and we should launch and yeah mate we went over the top and it was like trench warfare and it hasn't it hasn't happened and it probably won't ever happen again like that it was crazy full heartedly maybe but we went, we went with it, and as soon as we went over the top, that was it. The fighting from the trench stronghold enemy that was engaged in the vehicles switched straight away when they seen us because it was desert floor, it was flat, it's a pancake. So as soon as we went over this little bit of cover that we had, they see us. So it was like a two-way dust up, and I'm talking, the bees were buzzing, <laughs> flicking up from like the dust next to my feet thinking fucking hell this is lively someone's going to get hit I'm waiting for a man down call it didn't happen then the boys joined us bounded in front of us bosh they were in it smashing so noisy didn't have any ear defence in so like ear protection so the noise was carnage the vehicles are firing 30mm into this position Then it's so disorientating battlefield confusion it's like move got up and I'd done, a, done another kind of bound down on our knees smashing the enemy engaging move they then bounded in front of us got closer 50 metres 40 metres still no man down 30 metres and then about 25 metres as I was moving forward I start seeing some militia fighters get up from their trench and move back I'm thinking here we're, on, we're doing alright here you know it gave me a real boost of confidence that they're moving back they're falling out move 20 metres more people are leaving that position I'm thinking we've got the upper hand here now we can achieve maybe it was unachievable at the beginning but we're achieving big things now 10 metres could see their faces their look of fear scared and then all of a sudden when we were just about to go in and clear that position as in go in close with and destroy everything within that position all of a sudden they put the ha- threw their weapons down and put their hands and surrendered Really, and I do kind of a few speaking engagements with the sport industry on teamwork, resilience, decision making in the corporate world, and a lot of people always ask me in the Q and A's, "How did you do that? How did you turn it off?" And I tell you what, it's a great question because I don't know because when you're fighting for your life, fighting for your life, you're in an overly dangerous environment you are head on with the enemy 
who are trying to take your life. I don't talk about that. I've just left my wife with my newborn son who was three weeks old. Oh, you don't think about that. It's like you disengage with that. But when you kind of, when I reflect on it now, I think, how did I switch it off? Because you can get it wrong sometimes, but we never got it wrong. We never engaged. We abided by Geneva Convention and our rules of engagement. They put their hands up, they surrendered. We then went into the arrest mode. So we took them as POWs. Before you've done the, before you've gone into arrest mode, presumably you've killed some of the militia fighters at this yeah. point already, which yeah. is why they were retreating. Mm-hmm. And this is why they ultimately surrendered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we, they must have, from the enemy's perspective, because I'm a stickler for analysing things, and I think, right, if I was the enemy and I'm seeing the most courageous, crazy dudes running at me, I'm not having any effect. Mm. I'm not taking them out. They're still get, getting closer. They're getting closer. Actually, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm leaving this stronghold and I'm, I'm leaving. In, in a way, that's respect to us. By yeah, it was yeah. Looking back at now, I think, why did we even do that? (laughs) But at the time, it needed to be done, so we did that. And um, do you know if you've hit any of them? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I never knew. But when I talk about, I talk, yeah. There's obviously more to the story, which it got close and personal. Yeah. And the aftermath of it, that's when I talk about the effects that it had on me mentally. You can do that now, then. But um, yeah, so that position, all of a sudden. Like I said, you're fighting for your life. All of a sudden, they've surrendered. You're like, shit, what do we kind of do now? I mean, this is crazy. And you go into the arrest mode. You take them as POWs. There's, there is there's bodies in and around the area. And these bodies have been hit by some high-velocity ammunition. And they're all over the place. And I'm like, but you just switch off from it all. You, you're so in tuned on what's going on. You switch off from it all. So I was, we were segregating the uh, POWs, which are prisoner of war to the enemy dead and there's a lot of confusion you know the, the battlefield is a very confusing place it really is especially when there's a lot of trauma involved and it is carnage if I'm honest a lot of people on the radios very busy people turn, you know British troops were turning up all left right and centre we were kind of doing our thing on the ground I was in this trench my sergeant major turned up those who don't know a sergeant major is one of the most experienced soldiers coming to the wards of end of his career inspirational leader of men all women he turned up in my position was like Woody what's going on so I give him a summary of what just happened he's like right okay is the battlefield clear massive integrity question for me huge integrity question why because I wanted to say yeah honestly I wanted to tell him it was clear because I didn't want to do what I'd just done because I didn't think I would, would survive it again. So, what's what's the consequence if it is clear what happens? And what, what well, we just kind of, you know, create uh, collected bodies in that were killed or whatever. The POWs, we we sort of push back through the chain. They they go through all their sort of stuff as as prisoners of war. But I knew because on the approach, I seen them leave that position. I knew mm. the battlefield wasn't clear because mm. we was in the main trench now at this point. So I knew that there was fighters still out there because I seen them and my own eyes leave. But he's asked me if it's clear, and I was desperate to say yeah. And I'll admit it, you know, I'll be open and free about it because I don't care who you are. When it's when you're close and personal, when it's hand to hand fighting, which not very many people get to experience, long distance away, a lot of people have been engaging. But this 
his close and personal stuff. And I was like, it's not clear, sir. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I've seen fighters fall back from this position. They withdrew. And he's like, okay, put a fresh magazine on. You'll come with me to do a clearance patrol. And I was like, say again? <laughs> he's like, we're going again. And I was like, oh, okay. But the, the, what comforted me was how inspirational my sergeant major was. Incredible leader. Infectious. Led by example. And was sublime in what he did. So I was like, I'm more than happy with that. Because I looked at him as a role model for me. Mm. So I was like, let's do it. And sure enough, within 80 metres, we come into an engagement. And I'm talking, for me, to that bin away. And that bin is probably what? Six feet. Yeah. Could hear the last gasps coughing as he fell to the ground. I didn't even have time to even process it. It was like short and sharp. Down. Targets down. Move. Boom. Another engagement. Targets down. Move. And then... We come to the second engagement, and I was like to my sergeant major, "Sir, we need to we need to go back to the main position because it's only me and you." And I was a young lance corporal. He was like the big badge, like we called him the badge. I mean, the serious decision maker. And he's like, "Woody, I think you're right. Let's go back to the main position. We'll do a, like a sweep with the vehicles later on." Then I see a flicker outside of my corner of my eye. So what's that? And as I turned, two more militia fighters. But they then threw their weapons on the floor. And I was like, get fucking down. Put your hands in the air. The thing is, right, I was having all these emotions. I, I approached the trench high on adrenaline. Achieved, which, looking back now, I don't know how we did it without sustaining casualties. Then I was in the position. I started coming out of this high. Then the sergeant major said to me, we're going again. So then I got another injection of this adrenaline out of body stuff. And I'm thinking, and then on the way back, I started like sort of the adrenaline started wearing off again then next thing you know, I've got this like these two POWs now then it's gone up again so I'm like up and down up and down with these emotions and it's hard to explain but I was like shit got hold of them took them back to the main position but it's a three hour battle and um, I sat down had my first bit of water yeah, hot water and the sergeant major came up to me and said Woody we need to we need to collect these bodies even at a young a young age I knew that was a random call but you don't question people's decisions especially in the military I mean it's rigid so you don't question that what would normally happen in war would you, just, you leave, leave them yeah them? I mean it's it's kind of mutual respect yeah that that's what we do but the reason why was because it was such a big pre-planned attack and it was the uprising and we call it Bravo 1 he's a main militia leader McTider Al Sada his name is the main militia man the whole leader of Alamara that was a district that we were in mm-hmm. the main dog they thought they were convinced he was one oh. of these either killed in action or POWs yeah. but I tell you now mate taking another human's life is graft is hard yards regardless of me being a soldier being the best trained infantry soldier commando trained individual it doesn't matter Taking another human's life is difficult, and yes, you know, that's kind of my role as an infantry soldier to close with and destroy the enemy. But when it's close and personal like that, even though they're enemy fighters and they would do the same to me in a heartbeat, but it's 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 graft to then go and pick these young fighters, 
17, 18 to 30 year olds, that's kind of the age group, age bracket it was, to pick them up in the state that they were in and load them onto vehicles. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to do and deal with later on in life. Couldn't shake it, mate. Couldn't shake it for years after. Tried and tried and tried, but I couldn't get rid of it. Couldn't get rid of the sight, the smell. Just Just to add to the trauma you'd already experienced that day, you had to do that at the end. Not only that day, I'd been in country you know for a month previous yeah. and I'd seen people get hurt hit with petrol bombs like people who I looked up to ended their tour in an instant with yeah, but that's kind of me digressing from but I'd been exposed to so much trauma by even to this point yeah I remember going back we had to take our clothes off and they, they had to get burnt really? and I remember going to the shower leaning against this um plastic portal cabin wall looking into the plug hole sand and grit and blood running off me into this you know into, like, into the plug and I was like what happened there mm. and like I said that tour was overly violent It, I came back from that tour a month early because I was earmarked for a promotional course I tried to get out of it because I wanted to see the tour out but I was ordered that that wasn't going to happen and I was going home so like I said earlier I left Lucy with my newborn son three weeks old and I was like really excited super excited to go back and yeah. see my son you yeah. know that I'd only just experienced short term with and also Lucy you know, I really missed her as well didn't really talk about the tour on how kinetic and noisy and and the trauma about it I just kind of switched off and parked it got home and it was just something wasn't right and that something was me mentally wise was this like straight away yeah or I, yeah, yeah. I, I got home and it was like I left Bailey when he was in his Moses basket came back and he was in his cot mm. and I was like where did that go yeah and then the bond that I see, I was a bit jealous. Well, um, with his mum? Yeah, yeah. With, with Luce. I was, she, she had the golden touch. I tried to feed him, he would cry. I'd bath him, he would cry. I'd put him to bed, he would cry. And it just broke me, if I'm honest. I was like, why can't I do that, what she's doing? Mm. And it frustrated me, and it angered me. And I had rage, boiling rage. Never physical. But I tell you what, my tongue was brutal. Really? The way I spoke to her, yeah, I mean, I punished her. Punished her with how I spoke and what I'd said. And it was unco- looking back now, I mean, if I was to change, going through the therapy cycle, which we we'll clearly talk about, but if I could change anything, it would definitely be that, the way what I does Lucy disrespected. Say, what does Lucy say about that now? We still don't really talk about because we obviously gone through so much evolving and, and rebuilding because we, we'd split for a while as well really? uh, back in yeah 2006 um, but we obviously we've come on and we've achieved a lot and I've done a lot to kind of get to where I am now with not being too scared to go and speak to someone as well mm. which we we'll, like I said we'll talk about but at that point yeah I mean I just had this 
fuse and it wasn't me but what it was it was you know, post-traumatic stress yeah. probably from war fighting chronic burnout I never knew about it I never had the tools to deal with it and I just thought do you know what parking it will do I'll forget about it yeah. but you don't forget mate so many people do I think before we talk about like your actual therapy and yeah. the process of like going through that suffering and identifying what it is that was making you feel and behave like that yeah. just want to like touch on some of the other things I was just thinking when you were telling the story because I think people will be listening to this podcast episode commuting on a tube in the city somewhere or on a train coming into the city or driving in the car or in the gym or wherever they listen yeah. to it it's so hard to relate to what you've actually been through like yeah. it's absolutely insane really when you think about it and but I chose that walk of life right I'm, soldiers are, I would like to think they're very humble people we're, we're a humble nation mm. we don't shout you know, yeah. a little bit different to the Americans which clearly <laughs> are our closest allies but we don't shout from the rooftops and, and then we don't call for people to, to support us because the bottom line is we chose that role yeah. we chose to defend our great nation yeah and you know we yeah I mean it's nice to have that support it really is like when we do like freedom parades in March through like the city of London or Guildford or Portsmouth and we have these like the public turnout in mass waving their Union Jacks it's, that's the proud feeling mm. we've not asked for that but they've come out to support that and I know that we kind of digress slightly but we don't want for, for nothing really and we chose that walk yeah you know? mate no, I appreciate it and you are being really humble but like what you've done is amazing but no, whether you've chosen that walk of life or yeah. not nothing can prepare you for no I know what, what you nothing did prepare me for I knew how to war fight because I was trained to do that I never I wasn't trained to walk with the aftermath of it I never had any tools mm. and couldn't control that yeah I think like I feel embarrassed even drawing a comparison with it but my first job that I had in the city was with a company called Johnson & Johnson the big medical yeah. corporate US business and my role was to sell uh, medical devices to surgeons and CEOs of hospital trusts so I spent a lot of time in theatre watching these operations so yeah. like watching people be cut open and the, like physically seeing them do these operations which nothing you know I, I hadn't been for a training thing or anything like that before and that's I'd, trauma yeah so I now know as well from some of the stuff I've been through yeah. which I've been quite open with some of the things I've suffered with and, yeah. and some of my demons but yeah seeing seeing a human body do that yeah. that's that's trauma so I was interested to know maybe just a little bit more detail around like specifically what it what it did to you like emotions and how you tried to bury it and then when you finally kind of identified it yeah it's 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 a, it's a it, for me it was a strange cycle because in the moment I was so in tuned to the moment I didn't really think about it when I was getting older and had time to reflect and dwell on things that's when it started to affect mm. and having kids of my own and thinking about the enemy that we'd closed with and destroyed you know that they had family They and I know it's kind of you know well you're in the military you know that's 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 but I'm human as well, yeah. right? And when I get older and I've got kids and family, I, I, I have thought about that and an element of guilt maybe. And it's, it's hard to not think about that and not dwell on that because it's, I've taken part in it. I've done it. Uh, I've heard their last gasp, their cough, their cough when they hit the ground and the noise that I can hear day in, day out. Do I feel guilty? I, I don't feel guilty because they were trying to kill us they started it they ambushed us we didn't we never go out there and cause you know issues we are kind of trying to rebuild 
reassure a country, another country, to find its feet again. We were on the back end of something pretty violent that we'd gone in and encountered. But on that counter, so much trauma was crazy and I think it would have would have affected anyone no matter how strong a character when you're seeing this and what I'd seen I was like wow how do I I didn't even do you know what I didn't even ask myself that question how do I deal with it because you just get on with it it's only when I was getting older maybe getting softer as we get older we get a little bit softer and we have we met some people show more more emotion really and when they've got kids you Mm. can definitely relate that and that was what was hard for me when I was getting old and, and I started to think about things that I'd done in the past. It's like that. It's in the hero's journey. No. It's really good, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll lend it to you. So, um, you could speak and spend a whole podcast episode talking about that, but you get to a stage in your life where you start to do more self-discovery and understand who you are, where you come from and why you are like you are. Yeah. It comes with age, looking back at those things. And you said with kids as well, obviously that highlights it even more, but... Yeah, I mean, younger, we're fearless. At 23, I was fearless. Yes, I was exposed to it so much, but I just you just get on with it. And like I said, it's only when you're at an age where you look back and start to analyse things, mm. sit on things, it's like, oh, shit, how do I shake this? Because I thought I could. I could just like shake my head and it would be gone. Nah, wrong answer. Wrong answer. And it was that was the start of a a testing journey mentally for me to I was in an all male organisation right so 800 men who were wanting to be the best versions of themselves Mm. compete for everything compete for a blade of grass because that's what it is as an infantry soldier as a frontline soldier you compete for a blade of grass promotion to be the best leader to be the best decision maker you compete and all of a sudden I've got something going on in my headspace I'm like mm. leave it out I'll shake it couldn't shake it couldn't right I'll park it which is okay for a while until it's like a scab it's picked off boom all sorts start running through your head again and then who do I take it out on my loved ones mm. because I was too proud to go and speak to someone because I myself was a decision maker and a commander a leader in a normal organisation and I was having something wrong with my headspace and all of a sudden I was thinking, do I go and knock on a door? No way. Are you joking me? You know, I'm, I will end up, this is how I thought I will end up. Well, one, I was scared because of what everyone else thought of me. Two, was I going to demotivate my men because they're thinking that I've got an issue now and I'm no longer going to be a leader, an example setter. It petrified me and that's why it took me so long it took me sort of maybe nine years but I always say I always say though it wasn't nine years too late it was nine years too long but it wasn't too late because I've still done it mm. you know yeah like that it was, it's never too late and if people it could be anything mental health is a beast right there's a huge ring of steel stigma around this the t- taboo of it is crazy right and I'll have a debate about any with anyone on being proud and to not kind of reach out and ask and seek help than how hard it was for me with the, being in an all male organisation and, and the regime that I was in with the military mm. 
that was in my opinion the hardest but mental health is a beast like I said and it can affect any person yeah. no matter how hard you think you are like soldiers people put soldiers as like just robots that we're mm. not we're just normal, normal dudes which have you know chose that walk of life yeah. but do get affected also and they are seeing myself on a journey and I say what it was a journey as well so what were your what were your symptoms and if you can remember like maybe your lowest period and then what was actually that process of seeking help and knocking on the door like you said well I smashed my family like ridiculous lost kind of everything what meant something to me that was alarm bells because I was overly aggressive yeah. fiery no patience um, couldn't really cope with Bailey my son at the early stages didn't just couldn't do it I was like just take him away from me I don't know anxiety was was a big thing as well going different places only sometimes with anxiety but it was like shit going yeah I don't know going to like crowded environments and stuff it was just a bit difficult sometimes so yeah. didn't like that claustrophobic feel yeah um, yeah I mean just violence really but with verbal violence mm. never physical violence but verbal violence a few people around me was like that's not you what's going on <laughs> you know and I'm like don't even have a conversation with me do not mention that in front of me because mm. that's not happening I was in denial really yeah. even though I thought I could I, I knew it wasn't me but I was like I've got mental health issues are you joking me just denial mate yeah. and um, 2012 was a turning point I knocked on a door mate I needed to I was I had so much going on within my headspace I was all over the place and um, I was down at Limpston with the Royal Marines instructing and I had a conversation with a friend of mine in the evening we, we spoke all the way through to the morning and he's like you need to go and speak to someone a professional it changed my life so he inspired me and I was like I said I was so scared knocked on the door got in there I'll tell you what I had a big old tear up yeah I just everything like drained out of me and um what was it a therapist no he was he he was the commandant of the training centre so he's like a real senior officer yeah he kind of listened to me got it made me feel comfortable opening up to him and then he kind of yeah passed me on to a professional and that was my journey to recovery then mm. But it was a growth, you know, we, we talk about a disorder, but it's really important to talk about the growth as well on, on you know, how did you get out of the dirt, how did you rise when you were lower than a, a slug's belly, and that's really low, mm. with dark, real dark things going through your headspace, and how did you pick yourself up, and for me it was regenerating my passion for sport, yeah. fitness, like, you know, we spoke about earlier on, before the pod went off about my get up in the morning at the crack of dawn yeah. at 5.30 and punching out runs most days because that's it's mindset it clears my mind and sets the conditions for my day and it's re reintegrating with that because that's my therapy as well exercise Still, even now is my therapy yeah and it's really important that's on a scientific level as well isn't it like no, the endorphins my, it releases yeah and totally and I now understand it a lot more yeah. than what I did before and took it for granted really the whole physical fitness side of things and uh, our purpose is huge as well yeah. you know it's always 
it's always a little bit easier yes we still have to be self-disciplined to go out and achieve our purpose whether it be anything it could be business a business purpose or it could be a sporting purpose or it could be a big sort of um, I don't know a big task that you want to that you want to achieve in a year's time but that is you need to train to get to that yeah. you know activity what did your purpose change to? kids football yeah yeah coaching coaching yeah. training the kids educating the kids as well which was a big thing for me because you know I'm from a small village in Hampshire and there's a, there's like a sort of council area where you know I'll go into pick up the boys you know who their parents wouldn't take them to the training but I'll go and collect them say boys jump in right we're going to have a little no training session giving them something which is yeah. really important giving something back charity as well yeah. done a lot for charity and give giving stuff back to a military charity that helps you know, soldiers who or former soldiers who are struggling mentally or you know the transition from an institution to the real world yeah. out in the corporate area or just normal yeah away from the, the military regime people struggle with that so yeah. yeah helping that charity out which helps them people out which is a big thing for me so yeah that that's another purpose and that was another kind of step and stone for me to, to get on oh, yeah I think there's um, I don't think we've spoken about it but I read a book recently called The Courage to Be Disliked. It's an amazing, amazing book all about Adler in psychology. And it talks about if people are having issues or struggling with anything or actually facing any challenge at all, there's three things you can always revert back to. So the first one is just 100% trust in this version of yourself, yeah. no matter what you're going through. So in that period of time when you're really suffering, going through a difficult time, just understanding and being aware of that, but just, just having trust in yourself, just being content with who you are as that person. Second one is then having blind trust for other people. So again, in that situation, having blind trust for the person that you went and spoke to in the first instance yeah. allowed you to kind of digest and, and I suppose offload a lot of that as well. Yeah. And then the therapist and going through that. And then the third one is contribution to others. Which is a ma- I think that's the biggest thing out of all of it. And yeah, it's a nice feeling as well. Yeah. You know, we're going to you know, blind trust and you absolutely nailed it there that I never knew this person from Adam. I didn't even know who he was, never spoke to him before. But I've gone in there and I did trust him in the dark. I was mm. like, do you know what? Because I think as well, it was like my last sort of chances of what was going on within my head as well. I just needed that and I just trusted that mm. person who I never knew and kind of opened up and and then he gave me a real sense of trust with his values as well, that nothing's going to go further than, than our conversation in these four walls and you're not the only person to come and see me who's at a senior rank because at that point in 2012 I was a senior soldier I was a colour sergeant so I was just about to go and you know, be promoted to sergeant major which is like one of the near, near pinnacles of your soldier's career I mean regiment of sergeant major is the pinnacle but a sergeant major still looked at is a, a big inspirational role and um, for yeah for me to to have that yeah sort of yeah, blind trust that he understood and, and was happy to kind of let me just have that verbal diarrhea and let it all out sort mm. of, so to speak and it's a big thing so important I think it's interesting as well because you've demonstrated ridiculous amounts of trust in that situation but also you know when you were talking about that second surge of fighting that you went through with your sergeant major at the yeah. time you had again blind trust in him to then go and follow him two of you against whoever else yeah, yeah. was out there Yeah. so in in different instances it's interesting maybe that made it easier for you to then go and walk through the door then I don't know yeah no I think so 
roughly then, when you made that decision to go through and you know start seeing someone and seeking a bit of therapy, what was that process like time-wise and what did it look like? Yeah, I mean, it was longevity, clearly, because you can't just be self-fixed with in a short space. It's really important that you kind of go into it with the belief the reason why you've kind of need that help and support and you continue on that journey so it's kind of even evolving now writing the book also it closed a lot of chapters but also ignited a lot of things as well so yeah. you know if there's a point where I need to go and speak to someone down the line yeah. in the next you know month or couple of months and I will do yeah I think that's um, good have you got someone who like is your go to someone that you always yeah I mean I'm, when I had my full on therapy it was down at uh, Exmouth down at uh, with the Royal Marines that area there so I would have to then you know, see someone around Hampshire so I've got recommendation I've not spoke to them yet but if I need to then I've broke that barrier already right because I've done it I've yeah. broke that wall down and I'm not scared to go and speak about stuff that I've been thinking about now or dwelling on you yeah. know and I have a couple of things been kind of what you know waking up and thinking about things I haven't thought about for a long time so mm. if there's a point where I need to go and speak to someone then I absolutely will because like I said I even speak about it to Lucy my wife mm-hmm. I've never done that before really? so yeah it's um, if I need to I will and yeah. it's like I said it's uh, it's longevity now yeah there was an intense period where I went through you know probably I don't know 10 weeks of a cycle of intense cycle and then it was kind of then it went to like once a month and then I was good to go with if you are re-engage with certain thoughts or certain feelings then we we, we we re-engage and we go again so yeah it's it's part of my it's part of me mm. now so what about any other practices like I talk a lot about you know even meditation or exercise is yeah. one that comes up all the time I've never do you know what I've never it's absolutely killing us I've never I've never do you know what I've never done medication uh, meditation but that's something that I may may look into. I think why not? I yeah. mean, don't diss it until you try it, right? So, but the fitness, I'm religious. Mm. Those who you know follow me on Insta will know and get bored, sickless, and me put my stories on it like five bell in the morning. But that for me is my meditation. Yeah. It's my therapy. It starts starts my day and it's it releases so much. Mate, that's so good. I'm, yeah, I'm exactly the same, mate. Without the exercise. <laughs> just don't don't get going in the day just don't feel yeah. don't feel good about myself don't feel positive it's comes back to the, the making the bed as well like that that gets your mindset there that you've got little wins but I think going back to what you're saying about the therapy I think I I went for a period of probably did about 10 sessions last year yeah but then you, I thought I was I had the expectation that that was it then draw a line under it I'm done now but like it's actually I'm learning now it's okay to go back if you need to yeah it's, a, it's a hand in hand journey and you've got a, and you've got respect that now as well one fair play to you and well done for reaching out and, and getting that kind of support I think it's incredible that you, you, you're you doing that and it's inspirational definitely but it's not a closed chapter it's an open book right mm. because you're going to cut everyone every single person within life don't care who you are has a challenge whatever that challenge is it could potentially be demanding and that demand can potentially take over and that takeover can then put you onto a flat spin but I've learned by holding it all inside and trying to control it all without any knowledge of or any 
education on how to deal with it, you're going to cause all sorts of issues. Mm. Well, I know because I did it. Yeah. If there's one thing that one sort of point or advice would be, don't hang on to something, regardless of what it is. Speak about it. Mm. We can be the fittest people in the world, train every day, speak about health, promote health, but there's no health without mental health. Yeah. Fact. Like, this is what I find funny because there's a, such a bad stigma attached to it. But at the end of the day, you've got a dentist for your teeth. You've got all these specialists yeah. that you go and see about different parts of your body. But people look at like if you're. You know, I even go, I see my barber every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but if I went and saw a therapist and you tell someone that, people look at it in a funny way. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I totally get it, and I've been yeah, I've been there myself. <laughs> um, so mate, what's your relationship like with fear then? And you've experienced things that I couldn't even imagine you know absolutely like amazing things that you've done and the way that you've acted in those situations as well you must have learned a lot about fear and how you can manage that and how how has that changed as you've kind of grown up with it fear respect it I think that's the biggest thing is respect fear everyone has that emotion has that feeling for me it's it's how do you control that by having respect for it and also by using it as a tool and as an advantage mm. you know for me it was using it I grabbed it before it took control of me and I've experienced a fear on different occasions but the main occasion was in the back of that vehicle but I grabbed it and kind of I used it to force me out of the vehicle yeah. you know I grabbed it and put it you know injected it through my body and made it to kind of guide me and lead me out of that vehicle and because I respected that because I can sit here and go I've got oh, no fear fear whatever but we all we all experience fear and uh, it's giving it a nod element of respect and trying to use it but on a good advantage for yourself mm. it's like risk versus reward isn't it you know we're, we're, we're scared to make that risk with it's, it's a fear that it could go wrong we could lose a deal, we could get killed. But if you don't take that risk, then potentially for me, it could have caused more effect and caused more lives at risk uh, than taking that kind of plunge. And yeah, I fear is a beautiful thing mm. and you just got to kind of respect it and use it to your advantage, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm interested to know what you think about this. I've always looked at these the way that you behave, the way you hold yourself is is kind of a, a good balance between confidence and fear. Yeah. You're always going to have that fear and that thing in the back of your mind that tells you might you might not be good enough or you might not achieve what it is that you're after or, or get to be the person that you want to be and you've spoken about, you know, it's important to want to be your best self. Yeah. So you've always got that fear there, but you need a good healthy balance of that fear and the confidence that you are good enough, that you're going to be great, that you're going to be able to go on to do all these things and that you, you know, you've got that ability and, and that mindset anyway. 100%. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a topic in its own, really, with the whole... You can do a lesson on fit, on fear and the fear bubble and how that works. But the bottom line is, we all experience it. You've got to appreciate it, respect it, but deliver with it. Because it's going on stage when you're really nervous, but you should channel that nerves and ride it out with whatever you can do. You're going to open it up singing, or you're playing in the FA Cup final or Champions League final and you're scared stiff you're in the toilet being sick but you wipe your mouth 
you know and then you re-engage and use you know that energy and that buzz and that fear to to best effect and that's only obviously my opinion of it but you can't let it override you and take control of you because it will end up making decisions that you didn't really want to do based on fear and that's how you need to look at it in my opinion yeah no I love it mate I think it's amazing one of the things I wanted to speak to you about you've obviously been hugely successful in the military you've you've transitioned over into business now yeah what kind of things have you learned and kind of advice that you give to people around leadership yeah I mean the transition was difficult (laughs) coming from an institution where I knew exactly what I was doing rigid time schedule for the military is you know proper and uh, and you get some good clear direction and, and yeah it's it's a brilliant structure to come out into they'll call this the real world was a bit of time it took me three years to kind of transition into that and I for me it was being staying true to yourself is a big thing so self belief I was coming out from an institutionalised bubble where I was in the mix I was you know I would like to think I was a half decent soldier and I was respected for that to coming into the unknown but I had to believe in myself. I always, always go back to my values, my core values, and try and deliver with them hand in hand. I think it's overly important. And um, be kind is a big thing. Smile and be kind to people because, you know, that's that's a really good trait in my opinion. And it's it also is infectious when you see someone smiling and, and, and being kind, I think. Yeah, that's that's really good, and and just trying to educate and help people on you know with me, I'm like, well, I'm a soldier, but how have I, what any of my skills? How am I going to even deliver out here? Soldiers are incredible at looking at a problem, getting around it, and trying to solve it because they'll work tirelessly to solve that problem, and they'll analyze and analyze and analyze and come up with 14 courses of actions from the worst course of action to the most likely courses of action you know, that's, and that's what I do here so yeah, going back to the whole leadership part it's one it's always by example mm-hmm. massively don't ever expect anyone to do something that you're not prepared to do yourself that's huge yeah. you know team massive part of things as an individual you can, you can achieve so much but as a team you could well be if you get it right and you've got the right team how do you get the right team by everyone buying into that mission how do you buy into a mission by believing in it because it's achievable and also we get people educated on it because it's got great values and what are the values what, what is a company mission so I'll speak to it but I'll go mad on it I'm, not, I'm going on a tangent now but straight away as soon as I come part of the office group I want to know what their, their values were and what their mission was dare to be different is one of them which I think is great but I looked at their values because I understand values and I dissect them I'm a stickler honestly so I'm starting to speak to younger lads I'm like oh, what do you think about yeah, the company values they're like values what are you on about right let's have an education period yeah. bosh and I go into it but they love it now because they understand that and that's leadership you know giving someone time a day someone's got an issue okay well let's get around them then let's support them then and let's give them a kind of pathway not everything is to do with business as well I think leadership is I want to know your girlfriend's name why? because I care about you and also I care about the wider path of other than the business because I know that you can deliver I should invest in you but also I want to know your background where you've come from have you had any troubles 
what were the troubles? Because if you're coming into into work and you're not yourself, because I've invested in you, I've taken time to understand who you are, I can actually maybe get that thinking, I know he's going through a bit of a hard period at the moment because we've spoken about it in the past. So therefore, maybe we can have a chat or you may feel open enough to go and speak to him about a, a, a problem because you've already had that conversation prior. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So all of these are like kind of small bits of, you know, of, of leadership to an extent, really. So as a leader then, what do you want from the people in your team? Like, who's the ideal candidate? What do they do? I think loyalty is a big thing. Believing in, in what you're trying to achieve. But there's all works around that as well, though. I mean, we could have a podcast on that in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, you want to create a team, surround yourself with those on the same mission as yourself. And how you do that is by going in. And this is just my opinion. I'm not gold standing. I'm not a leadership technician. But it's worked for me on operations in, in full-on intensity because I've valued people from the, the a very young private soldier at 18 years old to a regimental sergeant major who's 38 years old two different walks of life but they're still the same people and you invest in them yeah but the lessons you've learned mate from life and death situations are yeah. transferable into our life because we take it for granted we're in a nice safe little bubble in the, in the city in London you know there's no real risk there yeah that needs to be brought in and, and I think it needs to be highlighted by people like you with the perfect message no I think so as well and I think if there is anyone out there you know soldiers or former soldiers on their CVs it kind of they get brushed aside because they've not got the right ticks in the right boxes but I tell you what even if it's just an interest meeting meet these soldiers meet these people because I tell you what what you get from them is something else yeah. you get some you know, brilliant stories incredible values and those who really want to go the extra mile because I tell you now if they couldn't do the job on their probation so their three month probation they'll come to you and say I've given everything but it's not for me and you've got to respect that but a lot of people wouldn't do that because of the nature of the soldier that's what they're like they just want to get it and they want to really deliver and if they can't they'll put their hands up and say I tried but it's not going to work yeah. you know so they should kind of I always say give a give someone from the military a chance he yeah. or she so what what are your values now and why why are they your values be kind and smile i think is a great selfless commitment you know it's little things i i try and do so giving up your seat for some yeah. an elderly person or someone is pregnant it's just the right thing to do mm-hmm. picking up rubbish you know doing stuff right it's integrity is a value right and i always say with integrity it's doing the right thing when no one's watching you know we could be sat here and if there was a cup near that bin you'll probably pick it up because we're both in the room and if you didn't then I'll probably say something because you know you, you that's what should happen you should have that moral courage to say mate why don't you just put the cup in the bin but if I'm here on my own and you've gone and I'm tidying up this mic and stuff and that same cup's there what do you do mm. no one's watching you pick it up and put it in the bin doing the right thing but then you can go on courage a whole episode on encourage and you know yeah I mean I'm all over the values and I love them and I just I think get at it life's too short be kind work hard and have a smile up <laughs> why not though do you know what I mean yeah. we could we could talk about real be rigid on 
on core values but maybe it's because I've been through some shit uh, and been close to kind of not being here and so I kind of really look at that as a bit of a game changer for me and and um, yeah take each day as it is because you never know when it's going to close yeah amazing man I love that so much so before I jump into the last three questions we do the same three at the end of every episode I just want to make a point that we've obviously missed out a big chunk of the story which we could either revisit another time yeah uh, I'd love to do another episode with you further down the maybe line maybe do it after the I think do it after the book would be yeah. quite a cool thing to do mate even better so yeah. uh, obviously a large part of that was what led to you writing the book in the first place Double yeah. Cross which comes out in February next year yeah can't wait to come to the launch event by the way Tw- yeah. 23rd at the Shard 21st 21st Thursday yeah Thursday the 21st at the Shard I know it's going to be cool right mate I can't wait it's going to be amazing so yeah just very quickly if you want to touch on the process of writing the book what that was like um, and then we'll jump into the last three questions and I'll let you go yeah totally so there was a big um, there was a public inquiry and the allegations that I was up against me and my fellow soldiers were murder, mutilation and mistreatment which were crazy barbaric allegations which I couldn't believe which were linked obviously to which linked to Danny Danny Boy Boy. Yeah. yeah So basically what they were saying is we took the we took everyone back as prisoners of war. We lined up up against the wall and shot them dead. I mean, how that got traction and how that got brought into by the government as well, by public interest lawyers, is beyond me. But like I said, that's a whole story, another kind of podcast in itself. Yeah, and we'll it's, do that. it's heavily kind of in the book because the transcripts are in the book, It's which, which is right. Crazy reading that because it can't go left or right of it because it's a legal document. So it had to be as true to what was said in the courtroom. So yeah, being in the dock, um, and fighting another battle to clear my name, which I wasn't really educated to do, because I wasn't—I was—I was a soldier. I knew how to, I knew how to fight a war. Sirens all over the place, but I knew—I knew how to be a soldier. I knew how to go on operations, but I never knew how to fight another battle on, on my UK soil, which was a real, real. Yeah, it was hard graft, and it was a lot of mindset in the face of adversity and evolving and, and kind of grabbing hold of everything I possibly could to try and get me out of that real demanding process because it hurt my family really badly because a lot of the allegations kind of leaked into this into school my son's school and kids were talking and all of a sudden you know mm-hmm. my son's dad was a murderer and it would just it, it hit, hit him and hurt my son hard and you know even now I get a little bit emotional even talking about that um because it was a hard part of my life and I never knew how to deal with that and visit that with my son and yeah so it was graft but we can do an, an episode on that and, and the challenges yeah. which really c- came into that because like I said it's an, it's an emotional subject because it's still quite raw because yeah. the allegations you know that it was a 10 year inquiry it's a 31 million pound public cost on the public purse which I feel like I don't feel responsible for but I'm gutted that the public money was used for that I'm gutted mm. it hurts me and also yeah like I said it, it damaged my my family after regaining it as well then to yeah. go through all that again it was just it was tough you know it's an eye for an eye so I thought people were going to come from my door burst it down and, and kind of take my family away from me because we know with the extremist side of things that's, that's there's no grey areas there so then I was like triple bottled my house at night and kind of yeah oh, it, was, it was carnage but it's it's done Phil Shiner was found guilty of all of these um, accounts of dishonesty and false allegations and false lies and 
he was a shyster lawyer which just chased money is he but, in prison now no but he should be yeah treason but that's yeah yeah we'll do it mate we'll I'm, I'm gonna look forward to that we'll do a whole other episode on yeah that. yeah totally how did it get picked up as a book when I broke my silence on Good Morning Britain okay so I didn't speak about it for like 10 years and I was asked if I would go in and, and kind of go on Good Morning Britain and speak about it and yeah I kind of opened up that was a kind of real emotional sort of um, interview as well and then it went carnage massively so yeah I uh, a number of publishers approached me yeah we kind of started to to write the book and it was like an incredible journey like I said earlier it, it shut a lot of chapters down but then it kind of ignited a lot of stuff that I hadn't thought about for a long time but what a journey I mean how, how long did it take yeah a year a long time yeah nice. it took a year but the book is just one small thing what's about to come I can't give too much away but it's going to happen something big is going to get announced soon can you say anything no I mean if you put two and two together you're going to make four and people will kind of maybe guess on what's happened with their book but it's <laughs> unreal it's so so cool and who would have thought it I'm just a normal guy from a small village in Hampshire which chose to go and fight for my country and um, I didn't expect kind of the whole sort of saga and a journey but I'm in the best place I've ever been at the moment both headspace and family it's, it's been a yeah, it's been a journey but some exciting stuff is happening which I'm really looking forward to I'm buzzing for you mate I'm, I think you deserve it and hopefully we can talk more about that then in the February March episode that we do love that yeah alright mate so we'll jump into the last three yeah. questions and I'll, I'll leave you to nurse your hangover for the rest of the day <laughs> so the first question of these three is is there anything specifically you've come across discovered experience that you're particularly excited about at the moment yeah the book and what's coming after the book <laughs> <laughs> we can't talk about and it and also yeah I mean the journey my family's on they're on this journey with me yeah that's and I'm nice. super excited about that because it's about time that I give Lucy something back yeah because she's been overly loyal to me the way everything was when it was hard she gave me a second chance she deserves everything what's coming and um, yeah I'll give her my last penny because she deserves it and the kids love that mate that's amazing Okay, awesome. And the second one is, if you had to give one person, or if you had to give a listener one piece of advice, something that they can incorporate into a daily routine that's going to drive their performance forward, what would that one thing be? I don't know, maybe belief. Yeah. Believing in yourself. Self-belief. Because a lot of people always ask other people advice, or what do you think? can I do is that achievable but actually if you believe then it's nice to go and get a second opinion but I always for me it's believe in your own ability believe on who you are as an individual what sets you up on that more when you wake up what kind of sets you up for that journey for that day and then the day after and for me it's belief yeah. I think you know it's just believe in yourself yeah it, oh, may, it may not be like gold standard for a lot of people but for me it's kind of have self-belief and get out there and, and just try hard yeah because if sometimes if you try some things get unlocked and people talk, talk about luck 
I don't believe in luck. I think you make your own luck. And with that is a bit of belief. No, I love it, mate. I, I agree completely. I think luck is a part of it, but if you don't put yourself in those situations, those opportunities would never present themselves totally. anyway. I think you make your own luck. I, I honestly do believe that. And people say to me, oh, you're so lucky that you're out with, with Tom Hardy. I'm like, that's not luck. I mean, if you knew, you know, we all work hard, right? We all work hard, but when you do work hard, you unlock things. Mm. It's not because of luck. It's not luck because I was out on a night out with, with Tom. It's because it's happened and, you know, we're there and we're having a good time. Yeah. Or, you know, I've got Champion League semi-final tickets. People, you know, someone presented me them because I've done something for them and I worked hard for them. It's not because of luck. Yeah. They're not just threw them at me there is a reason behind all of it yeah but people may disagree but that's just kind of my my oh mate no, I think it's brilliant I think yeah, it's one of those things as well it's when someone looks at someone who's already achieved amazing things people could do the same with Tom Hardy you look at him yeah. oh you're lucky to be like where you are yeah if Don't you know, know his story. backstory mm. the man was an addiction you know a drug, a drug addict an alcohol and all that but he's you know how he's transformed that and put that into positive and what he's doing now with all the charities that he's involved in he supports the military military tirelessly we're both do yeah I mean incredible as well with the Royal Marines he's a big ambassador for them Mm. both you know (laughs) ambassadors for like Bremont watches who would have thought me Woody (laughs) I mean one of the ambassadors for like Bremont watches which is incredible like with Tom Hardy like whatever (laughs) but it's happened (laughs) it's happening now and um, you know I'm on a a journey with them also it's just like eh and I'm not name dropping for the sake of it because I'm not like that but I'm just saying that with people's backstories people are too quick to judge because they don't know and they're like oh yeah you're lucky to nah I've grafted yeah yeah. you just see the finished product though, don't you of course um, yeah I love it mate so the last question is, it's going to be a difficult one to ask you because you've done so much but if there was two versions of Woody right it's two versions of yourself take yourself back to I want to go back to the moment you're in the vehicle right You've got all these ridiculous things that are about to go ahead. Obviously, you don't know at the time, but these ridiculous experiences that happened on the day in the, at the Battle of Danny Boy and beyond, you know, with your legal battles yeah. and all the amazing things you've done in business and, 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 you know, with the book and all the things that are to come as well. What's the key differentiator between the version of Woody who goes on and smashes it and does all the things you've done today and had all these achievements and the version of Woody who would have sat in that vehicle and wouldn't have had all those successes? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, I don't know because I don't think Woody would have sat in that vehicle you know and not achieved or I'm not saying that to gloat by any stretch it's just that my personality is you know if I was to be in that vehicle again tomorrow knowing what I was going to go through would I do it again I would because it's the nature of me and yeah I've gone on to kind of achieve a, f- a few things kind of be in a humble way because it's the right thing to do there's a big a few things that I've achieved but also has come with a lot of ag as well so it's been a, a hard sort of but to answer that's a difficult question because yeah I, you know what I've not been asked that question before and it's kind of threw me so and I'll be honest I'm on a bit of a journey now and there's been so much emotion tears heartache heartbreak that I don't think there is two Woodies if I'm honest I just think I'm just me and I'll just yeah try to help everyone I can out and 
if it's possible to give back is the right thing to do and, and try and smile each day and I don't know if there's a kind of a different Woody I don't know I've, yeah like I said that's, that's a, it's a big shout there has been a lot that I've been involved in and to kind of yeah differentiate between the two kind of Woodies I don't think I can so I'm just going to say look we're out we're on a bit of a train journey I don't know the destination at the moment I'm just going to hang on to it and just sort of try and capitalise on a few things on the way and help my family amazing Mate, I love that I think that might be my favourite answer to that question that I've had so far I just you caught me out a little bit really but I'm, I'm so honest and I just think do you know what there's only one me and you know that's it we're I'm not perfect I don't claim to be perfect but I do try and I think we should all just try a little bit more yeah because it's the right thing to do I love it mate amazing mate, enjoyed it brother no thanks very much for having me honestly I know I'm hungover and <laughs> had a big old slurp up last night at the Christmas party but you know I'm glad that we got in and, and it's an honour for me to to be on that yeah on your kind of pod number what 23 23 23 yeah. Bex's number Bex's number yeah with that. Real Madrid go. so <laughs> I mean yeah this um, we, we'll hook up again yeah. hopefully the yeah, the listeners will will take something away from it if not then at least it's a little bit of an interest period and if it's not an interest period then my monotone voice would have put them to sleep on the train <laughs> or on a commute so I'm happy with that action it's a beautiful thing <laughs> no mate look, it's been an absolute pleasure people are going to love this story mate I've been sat on the edge of my seat the entire interview so I've absolutely loved it I've got to talk about the book the link is oh, it's on Amazon obviously yeah and, double crossed um, double crossed yeah, yeah a code of honour a complete betrayal here there's a buzz around it and don't just say that there's a big bit of war at the moment with a number of newspapers for the serialisation release and um, so that's getting done at the moment there's some conversations being had and like I said something else is happening with the book which is overly yeah. exciting as well so there's a lot of yeah I mean there's a lot of churn and a lot of talk about it but it's a story that needs to be told you know, I I was betrayed, and you'll find out when you read it. And it's my journey. It's my kind of biography. Is a it's, it's heartbreak, mental health, war fighting, and overcoming some challenges. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I've got no expectation on it. I'm just really glad that my story's out there. So, Matt, well, I've caught you on the crest of a wave. We'll see what happens, mate. Yeah, you're not going to forget about me, huh? I can have a surf up, though. I'll be on that wave. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, you're I'll be on that wave. You're loving it. All right, brother, thanks so much, man. Nah, it's a pleasure. I'll, uh, I'll let you know when it's going live, and yeah, can't wait for the book launch, mate. Pleasure, man. Nice one. Cheers, buddy. So there it is, guys. I hope you enjoyed the unbelievable story of Brian Wood. Thanks again to him for giving me all the time telling us the story in detail I was blown away by so many of the things that he told us and I absolutely loved having the chat with him so thanks again to Woody you can get his book Double Crossed on Amazon and pre-order it it comes out again in February let us know which parts of the episode you enjoyed I'd love it if you could screenshot as per the episode tag me at Whittle Take Flight on Instagram it's flight spell F-L-1 G-H-T and Woody at Brian underscore Wood 7 on Instagram and let us know what you're enjoying and and I know Brian's real active on Instagram as well, so we'll be chatting with you on there. You may or may not have noticed that 
I was a little bit croaky in there. I had an attack of the Christmas cold that's been going around the city and Brian had been to his Christmas party the night before. So we were both a bit rough, but I think we, we got a good chat in. We got a good conversation and I'm really, really pleased with the way that it came out. A quick update as well on the Take Flight and BU event taking place on the 2nd of February. Well, there's not much of an update actually, but we are going to be getting an agenda out very, very soon. We're working on it at the minute. Myself and Luke have been playing phone call tennis for the last five or six days and we're just nailing down the agenda. I've got another speaker set to come in, or speakers, spoiler alert, who are unbelievable, incredible people. They've been on the podcast before. Shock. I know them very well, one in particular, so I'll let you guys do the math. But it's going to be an amazing day. These are people that go in and speak with corporate businesses and charge between five and 10,000, you know, every time they go and have these conversations. So it's the first time really you get an opportunity to come in as an individual or as a consumer and, and hear these kinds of conversations and hear these amazing speakers talk that are usually kind of out of reach for, for the everyday person. So if you're looking to hear more from these amazing people live in the flesh, it's an amazing opportunity to A, meet them, but also meet like-minded people who are going to be there at the event on the day. It's going to be lots of people who are either building businesses or just looking to improve themselves. And I'm so excited about getting everything prepared and getting everything ready to go and meeting everyone on the day. Aside from that, we'll have a short three-week gap till the next episode because it's Christmas. But the next guest is amazing. I've been trying to sit down with her for, I reckon, maybe six or seven months. So I'm so, so pleased I finally got to record an episode with her. I actually recorded it with her yesterday. So still feeling very positive, very inspired from the chat that we had. And I'm really excited to be able to share it with you guys. It's going to be one that's going to help so, so many people. So really looking forward to sharing it with everybody. But until then, stay positive, stay motivated, have an amazing Christmas and New Year and take flight.